0: Tim. Well, let me ask you to take your Bibles and open to Hebrews uh, chapter 13, and this is the last message in Hebrews. Uh, we have not exhausted this book, but I am exhausted in it, so we're, uh, th- this is the last one. And uh, next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to start uh, a verse-by-verse series on the Lord's Prayer. Actually, it's not the Lord's Prayer, it's the model prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John 14 through 17, but the prayer that He taught us to pray and how that impacts our lives and what we are actually praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer. There are many churches and many denominations that pray the Lord's Prayer uh, in every service. But what does it mean? What does it mean to pray that prayer and to ask God to do those things? And so next Sunday we'll uh, start that, but we're going to go into the end of... Hebrews 13 tonight, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the Word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Verse 17 Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. I I think back over my life and I think of the people that have influenced me and have touched me, taught me, mentored me, discipled me, rebuked me, and I'm indebted to those people. I like to remember my leaders. People like James Miller who was a youth minister at my home church from the time I was a child until after I graduated from college, who always had time for me, who always listened to my harebrained ideas, and who told me sometimes to get my act together. I think about those times with Vance Havner when I would sit with him and talk with him and I guess my memory, if, if I ever lose my memory, I guess the one thing I will remember is me trying to wax eloquent with Vance Havner one day and him saying, son, I've been young and I've been old and you've just been young, so be quiet and listen for a while. I really can't imagine what it would be like to have never had Vance Havner speak into my life and stretch me and challenge me for the last 15 years of his life. I really owe my call to this church to Manly Beasley because it was his words to me while we were in Ada that let me get my ears open to hear that God was trying to say something to me. And in a short time after that, for the third time, the pulpit committee came and called us here. I don't know what my life would be like tonight if it weren't for men like Ron Dunn, who invested so much time in me and energy in me and encouraged me and taught me and stretched me. You know, I I want to be a better man because of those people. I want to be a better Bible student because of men like Lehman Strauss. Because when I listen to Lehman Strauss, I listen to a man who is totally absorbed in the Word of God. When I think about Ron, I I think about the funeral service and somebody said, what were Ron's hobbies? Ron didn't have any hobbies. His hobby was preaching. It was his life. You know, I look back over the people that have influenced my life and I remember them and I honor them and. One of the reasons I talk about them a lot, and some of you get tired of hearing me talk about them, is because they are men worthy to be remembered. They deserve to be remembered because they lived a life worth remembering. I'm grateful to have had men in my life like Dr. Havner and Manly Beasley and Ron Dunn and Lehman Strauss Who never did anything to embarrass the kingdom. And I don't have to say I was proud to know them except for this flaw or this downfall in their life. I enjoyed our trip to England because I enjoyed going to John Wesley's church and standing in his pulpit going to his prayer room, seeing where he got up every morning at 4 o'clock to pray. One morning he got up at 4 o'clock and nobody was in the house was up and he had a lot of young ministers around him that he was training. And so he issued an order. If you stay in my house, you will be in bed by 9 and you will be up by 4 and you will be praying. When you realize that One little five foot tall man was in a room the size smaller than a walk in closet, turned England around for Christ. That's a life worth remembering. And then to go into the home of John Knox, who stood in the face of the Queen, and she said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of England and to know that he stood outside her gate and waited every day for her to come out so he could rebuke her for her life, and to stand where he stood and to go to his home and to see where he threw down his edicts and risked his life for what he believed, reminded me that I have a heritage and a history that I need to remember. Some people don't like history. I happen to love history. I I love to, to study the Civil War because I love to study the lives of the leaders and the men and their flaws or their strengths that made them who they were. And I think it's good to read biographies because when you read biographies, you find out what it is about a person that God was able to use. And when I think about what God has called us to do as a church, I think this church, more than any church I have ever been a part of in my life and more than any church that I know anything about, has honored the men of God that have walked this way. And I think that's one of the reasons why God has blessed this church because we're doing exactly what the writer of Hebrews said. Remember them, honor them. The prophets and the teachers that have passed our way and taught us and have enriched our lives, have made us who we are. We would not be the church that we are today if it were not for the influence of the Ron Duns and the Lehman Strausses. We are who we are because God sent godly men to us because He knew that we would receive it and they could give it, and we would accept it. I've tried very hard to honor the former pastors of this church. I've worked very hard to honor the founding pastor of this church because he paid a price I didn't have to pay. I've tried to honor my predecessor. He has spoken in this church on at least two or three occasions. I know churches where a guy can never be asked back and never be invited back by the person who follows him because either there's a threatening situation or there's an embarrassing situation. And I've wanted to honor the men that have stood in the pulpit of Sherwood Baptist Church because it's the right thing to do. It's our heritage. It's who we are. They are the people that molded us and the people that made us. We have a guest house we call the Strauss House. And our guests stay there. When Ron was sick for those many weeks in here, can you imagine if we had not had that and he had been stuck in a hotel room, closed in in a hotel room for three and a half weeks until he got enough strength to go home? Do you know that the last book that Lehman Strauss ever wrote, he wrote in the Strauss house? Because we gave him time off and a place to stay because Lehman didn't own a home. A place to stay and a place to write. And my secretary and Shirley Horn helped him and. He put together his last book because this church ministered to him that's a blessing that sometimes we take for granted that we have the privilege and the opportunity to house the prophets of God sometimes and when they come our way we're able to bless them and you remember the widow that blessed the prophet when he came to her house I want to tell you something folks when we bless God's men God blesses us When we honor God's men, God honors us, and God shows favor toward us. Brian and I are working on a website for Vance Havner because there's not one out there. And the reason we're doing it is so that long after I'm gone and after all of us in this room are gone, if the Lord tarries, somebody will be able to find information about Vance Havner so that they'll remember that a man of God passed this way. Kay and I are working on some things so that Ron's ministry continues on. Because I think it's important that we remember them. And I don't think we worship them, I think we remember them. If you go out to our prayer tower, you will find stones of remembrance, bricks with people's names on them. And along there, you will find the name of every former pastor. When we started to do that, we didn't want to run the risk that we would leave somebody out. So this church, out of the budget, bought those bricks for every former pastor so that people would know who was here before we came. You'll find the names of a Bill Stafford, a Ron Dunn, and others. Why? Because when people walk in there to pray, we want them to remember that somebody has plowed this ground for us. And somebody has laid a foundation for us. When I got the call about Ron, I was uh, in the car with Warren Wiersbe. And we were on the way to the airport to take Warren and Betty uh, to the airport so they could catch the plane to Chicago. And I hung up and, and I could tell Warren knew that it was a bad phone call. And so he said, what happened? I said, well, Ron died. And he looked at me in the way that only Warren Wiersbe can look at you. And he said, so, I guess that means you're gonna bug me now. And I said, yep, that's exactly what it means. You know why? Because he knows more than I know. And he's been down some paths I haven't been down. And I need to learn all I can from him. The reason that I'm doing this coaching Uh, ministry through John Maxwell is because there are some guys out there that have been in ministry just a short time and they need somebody to come alongside them. Some of the guys of my age and older are so busy they don't have time to invest in guys younger than them. And I want to invest in guys younger than me. Uh, Warren and I are talking right now about trying to pull a conference together for guys that have been in the ministry less than 10 years and doing it at some place like the Cove where Guys can come in who are hurting and who are frustrated, who found out that there was a whole lot about ministry that they didn't learn in seminary. And try to help them and minister to them and nurture them. I remember the night that Ron asked me to preach his funeral. It was about three years ago. He said, I've got two things to ask you. One is that you preach my funeral. The other one is that you write my biography. And then he leaned over the table like that and I knew I was fixing to get it and he said son if you ever mess up I'm coming back to haunt you (laughs) you know what I want to be better and I want to be the kind of leader I need to be because I don't want to embarrass the Lord but I also don't want to taint the name of the people that have given me access to their lives. Because, you see, if I go down, if I fall, if I go into sin, then I also taint the names of a Warren Wiersbe and a Ron Dunn and a Manly Beasley and a Vance Havner and a Lehman Strauss. And that's why I think integrity is so important. Because when those kind of people have poured into your life, you better remember what they did for you. And they've poured into our lives. And part of what God gives me the privilege of doing as a pastor of this church is the outgrowth of what they've poured into me. And so I want us to look at some things tonight. First of all, to remember your leaders. Remember your leaders. Three times in this last chapter, he talks about leaders. And we all recognize Paul as a leader, but you know, Paul picked some people to be leaders. And he told us how to pick leaders, how to pick bishops and elders. and, And the scriptures give us qualifications for deacons, those that are leading in the church. Now, the church is an organism, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have to be organized. And a church has to be organized, and it has to be organized around people who are leaders in that church. Now this is, this is a thought, Southern Baptists don't sit well with this, but I'm more biblical than I am Southern Baptist. so if you'll bear with me for just a moment. You know, Paul never formed a committee to decide if Timothy was the right pastor for Ephesus. He just told Ephesus, here's your new pastor. You honor him. You follow him. And he told Timothy, you strap it on and do your job. Now. One of the reasons we have problems in our churches today is because we've mismatched pastors and congregations. The congregation doesn't know what it wants. The pulpit committee doesn't know what it wants, and it gets tired of traveling and end up calling Saul instead of David, and they get in a mess over and over again. Now, this church is an exception. In nearly 50 years of history, we've only had five pastors. That's unusual. The average tenure for a pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention is three years. That means that since 1990, you would have had at least three, probably four, pastors. Some of you are thinking, well, if it had been anybody but you, I'd have been happy with that. but." But you know, Paul said, this is who's going to be in charge. This is who's going to lead. And when Warren was in uh, Kentucky, he had gone as associate pastor. And six months after he went there, the pastor died. And they, they buried the pastor on Monday, and they called him as pastor on Wednesday night. He said, he was the one that had confidence in you, and so we have confidence in you. And so he says, first of all, remember those who have gone before us. And I've been talking about that in this long introduction Remember your leaders. Now that is combined with, you cannot ignore that phrase, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Now most commentators believe that this refers to leaders who had already died. Quite possibly every one of the original disciples was dead by this time, except for John. And so he's... Reminding that remember those who have died. Remember those martyrs. Remember those who have gone before you. Let me tell you something. We need to remember those who led us to Christ. We need to remember those who discipled us, who taught us, who nurtured us. One of the greatest people in the world in my life is Dr. Fred Smith, who is a retired dentist who taught me Sunday school who wasn't a great Sunday school teacher, but you know what he was? He was a godly man who was there week in and week out and cared for me and loved me and prayed for me. Remember the people that invested in your life. Find them. Thank them. Tell them. Thank you for discipling me. Thank you for mentoring me. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for what you did in my life. We tend to move on and go by and assume they know, and then we send flowers at their funerals. Tell them before they die. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse, I mean 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And so he says in 1 Thessalonians, we are to appreciate and we are to esteem. In our society, we don't do much appreciating and esteeming. We like to run down and second guess. Are the leaders who lead us perfect? Absolutely not. But they don't lead perfect people either. And so we are to esteem, and we are to appreciate, consider the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. What he's saying is, you saw them, you watched them. Now, take what you saw of them that was like Jesus and imitate their faith. What was their faith? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's, it's been interesting over the last few months. I, I've gotten an email from one former staff member and a uh, personal conversation with another one, and both of them said something that quite honestly surprised me. They said, you know, God's got us where He wants us to be, but we miss sitting under your preaching because our pastor doesn't study the Word. I appreciate that. I don't think my preaching's that great, but I appreciate the fact that they look back and they remember that God taught them something while they were here. Out of His Word, He says, imitate their faith. Their faith is worth imitating. Their lifestyle is worth considering. Their finish is worth honoring. Remember, He's talking about people that have gone. Not only remember those who have gone before us, but remember those who are still with us. I want you to take Hebrews chapter 13, and I want us to walk down Hebrews 13 and look at several statements. Why should we remember those who are still with us? And who are we to remember who who are still with us? Number one, we're to remember those who spoke the word, verse 7. Verse 7, remember those who spoke the word. Not, not those that, that had cute stories or not those that were humorous, those who spoke the Word. There's nothing wrong with cute stories, and there's nothing wrong with being humorous. But when it's time to preach the Word, it's time to get as locked in as you can and only use things like that as an illustration, not as the substance. Remember those who spoke the Word. Second thing he says, remember those who lift up Jesus Christ as Lord. Remember those who lift up Jesus Christ as Lord. Now there are a lot of leaders in this world that put attention on themselves. They expect you to call them brother so-and-so or doctor so-and-so. You know, I I don't know that anybody walked up to Paul and said, Brother Paul... I mean, he never called himself that. If anybody had a right to list his degrees and remind everybody to introduce him accordingly, it was the Apostle Paul. But remember those who lifted up Jesus Christ as Lord. Those who the ministry is not about them, it's about Jesus. Number three, remember those who protect the church from strange doctrines, verse 9. The way you keep from strange doctrines is you compare Scripture with Scripture. You don't take a text out of context and build a subject or a sermon on it or a doctrine on it or a teaching on it. And there are a lot of people out there that take isolated verses in the Old Testament and build a theology on it, and it's taken out of context with how it is fulfilled in the New Testament. They do not compare Scripture with Scripture. They don't do adequate Bible study. They get a thought and they run with it, and usually it's a strange doctrine. Number four, they strengthened your heart by grace. Verse 9, the last part. Remember those who strengthened your heart by grace. They encouraged you. Maybe when you didn't deserve to be encouraged. They strengthen you. They encourage you. They came alongside you. Number five, they teach you about holy living. Verse 12. They teach you about holy living. It's not just whatever you want to do, however you want to live, but there's a standard. And that standard is the holiness of God. Number six, they never deny the blood of Jesus. Verse 12, they never deny the blood of Jesus. Now, folks, anybody that doesn't preach and believe the blood of Jesus is not a minister of the gospel of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is never going to be compromised, and I, you hear people say, oh, we need to take the blood out of our hymns, and we need to take the blood out of our songs, and we don't need to because it sounds so gory. Hey, gory most of the movies that are out. Grace is the blood of Jesus. There's a lot of blood spilled in movies that's gory, but the blood spilled at Calvary was grace. And we do not deny or back up from salvation comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Number uh, seven, they teach you to view life from an eternal perspective. Verse 13 and 14, they teach you to view life from an eternal perspective, to look at life through a long lens, not just today but tomorrow and a month from now and a year from now and on down the road. They teach you from an eternal perspective. Number eight, they encourage you to give praise to God, verse 15. They encourage you to give praise to God. Number nine, they teach you the joy of sacrificial giving, verse 16. They teach you the joy of sacrificial giving. And then verse uh, number 10, they keep watch over you like a shepherd watches over sheep. Now listen while I read 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 27. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold exposure. Apart from such eternal, external things, there is a, listen to what Paul says, a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? And who is led into sin without my intense concern? You know what, folks? Folks. If a leader doesn't care if their people get involved in sin, they're not a spiritual leader. If a leader doesn't stand at the edge of a cliff and wave a sign and say, you're headed for trouble, they don't care for your soul. If a leader doesn't warn you, rebuke you, encourage you, love you, whatever needs to be done to bring you into fellowship with God, that person is not leading the way they need to lead. So we're to remember, then we're to obey, verse 17. And the first thing under this is obey your leaders as they teach you the Word of God. A he ties obey and submit or accepting and respecting together. Warren says, when a servant of God is in the will of God, teaching the Word of God, the people of God should submit and obey. Obey your leaders as they teach you the Word of God. Now, I'm not an authority on church growth, but I know how to view the landscape. And I can tell you that there is not a strong, evangelical, evangelistic, growing, dynamic, worship-filled, Word-filled, Christ-honoring church in America that does not have a strong leader. You will not find a church that's growing that has a weak leader because people never rise above their leadership. Individuals may, but a church never will. And if you look at the strong, great churches in America, you will find a strong leader. Everybody's impressed with the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I want to tell you something. Nobody sneezes at the Brooklyn Tabernacle that Jim Simbla doesn't know about it. And I mean, you want to talk about somebody that can have a come-to-Jesus talk with people, Jim Simbla can do it. He's taken a church from 12 to about 5,000. I'd say he's done a pretty good job converting prostitutes, transvestites, homosexuals, adulterers, pimps. And you know why he has to be that kind of strong leader there? Because they live in a culture that's out of control. And they need that kind of strength of leadership. I want to tell you, I watched him one Sunday and a baby cried in the balcony and he just made a look and there were eight ushers moving. I sat on a row and there was a lady sitting behind me. We had a row taped off uh, for us when we got there and uh, he had reserved some seats for a few people. And and so I was sitting there and there was a lady sitting behind and this lady sitting behind her said, uh, you need to get up and leave, you need to move. So well, I always sit here? She said, not today, you're not. So why not? So you see that tape on that row right there? You know why that row's taped off? Pastor taped that row off. What makes you think you can come in here and move that tape? It's a good word for some of the people who move ropes in our church, just while I'm thinking about it. But she said, you, you better get up and move. She said, well, I always sit here. She said, well, she said, I'm just telling you, you're going to be embarrassed when the pastor comes back here and tells you to move. You think Adrian Rogers is a weak leader? You think he just lets anything go in his church? anybody feels like doing? That's chaos. That's confusion. That's not an army of God. An army doesn't march in 12 different directions. An army marches in one direction, to one beat, to one vision, to one purpose, and to one goal. Every man doesn't do what's right in his own eyes. That's the book of Judges. Now it doesn't mean that a pastor has a right to be dictatorial. Or arrogant. He leads strongly because God holds him accountable to lead that way. You see, since the days of Moses, God has given his people a leader. He's given prophets, he's given priests, he's given pastors, and the, and the leadership was never about blind obedience. It was in the context of what we just looked at in verses 7 through 17. Does the person lead this way? That's how you know if the person's God called. Do they lead according to these characteristics? These are things that they are teaching us. People grumbled against Moses and they died in the wilderness. The people rejected Samuel and they got Saul. The people rejected the prophets and they ended up in bondage. The people rejected Jesus because they wanted their religion and their tradition more than they wanted the Lord. And the church at Corinth rejected Paul because he confronted them. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a church and the Apostle Paul say, you'd better get this straight, buddy, I'm going to come get you. It's raining. Hark, the ark. You, you better get this right or I'm coming after you. Now, some people say Paul was a weak little guy, but I guarantee you, you read 2 Corinthians and, and they got the message. They didn't want Paul showing up at their door. They didn't want Paul correcting them. They didn't want to have to see Paul face to face. Why? Because Paul spoke the Word of God. And so we're to obey our leaders as they teach us the Word of God. Now let me just do a quick little study. Let's start in 1 Timothy 4 and walk with me, if you would, through about three or four different books of the New Testament, starting in 1 Timothy 4. Why is this important? Why is this important? Because, folks, to be honest with you, every church is in danger of losing its vision and its passion. Every church is in danger of losing its calling from God, the blessings of God. 1 Timothy 4.1 But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. Verse 6 In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus constantly nourished on the words of faith and on sound doctrine which you have been following now i want to ask you to hold your place in 1 Timothy 4 and go to 2 Peter chapter 2 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Peter chapter 2 and you're going to see that the apostle paul and the apostle peter overlap in their instructions now, we don't know whether or not they ever read each other's letters, but they overlap in their instructions in a warning that they're giving to the church. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies And so if you want to circle destructive heresies and then go back to 1 Timothy 4 and circle deceitful spirits. And then there's a comparison between sound doctrine and false doctrine, the doctrines of demons. Destructive heresies and denying the master. Now let me ask you to go ahead and circle denying the master because we're going to pick that up in the book of Jude. Denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves, Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Second John. Second John, verse nine. Second John, verse nine. So you've got Paul in 1 Timothy 4 talking about deceitful spirits. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 talking about destructive heresies. Now, in 2 Peter 2, he talks about denying the master. We're going to see that again in Jude, but look at what he says in 2 John verse 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. I have heard teachers say, we've moved beyond Christ to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never goes beyond Christ. But there are people out there who say, oh, well, I have a new revelation. I have a new word. There is no word revealed that is inconsistent with Scripture that is from God. That's a deceitful doctrine. He says, they have come along that do not abide in the teaching of Christ. They does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. Don't talk to them. Don't, don't argue with them. Don't give them a greeting. Now, we're going to see at the end of Hebrews that he says we're to greet our leaders, but he tells us here in 2 John, there's some leaders we're not supposed to greet, those who go beyond Christ. Now, turn to the book of Jude, if you would. Jude verse 3. One chapter in 2 John, one chapter in the book of Jude. Jude verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing to you that you contend earnestly for the faith, the faith, emphatic, the faith, which was once for all handed down or delivered to the saints. For certain persons have crept in, and how have they crept in? Unnoticed. They just kind of slip in the church. They worm their way into leadership. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Remember what he said in 2 Peter 2, their destruction is not asleep. Same reference. Long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So if you take 2 Peter chapter 2, denying the Master, 2 John, Verse 9, does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. And Jude, verse 4, deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. You find three references written in the last days of that early church that remind us that people are going to come into churches and come into the ministry and go into the ministry who will not teach the Word of God. And he says to the church and to us, You watch out for those folks. You keep your guard up. You make sure that they don't get into your midst and deceive you. Second thing he says is submit to your leaders. The word submit literally means to resist no longer. To resist no longer or to yield. Now, you know, we've got a problem with leadership and authority, whether it's as a child growing up as a student in school, as a player on an athletic team, or as a member of a church. You know, there's just something in our old nature and in our old flesh that we don't like anybody telling us what to do. We don't like we want to think we think everybody's opinion is right. And we don't want anybody telling us what to do. That's why he uses this word, submit, to resist no longer. Why? Because they keep watch over your souls. That really translates, they and they only. No one else is doing it. No one else is watching over your souls like they are. They keep watch over your souls. They keep themselves awake. There are a lot of believers that have caused a lot of pastors to lose a lot of sleep. They watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, who are they going to give an account to? Not the board, if it's that kind of denomination, not the elders, not even the deacons, not even the personnel committee, who they ultimately give account to is to God. That's why James says in chapter 3 and verse 1, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I want to tell you something. I would a whole lot rather sit where some of you sit than have to sit where I sit because I'm going to be judged more strictly than you are. And so what I do, I don't do lightly because I live in light of knowing that one day I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what I've done in the body and with His body His church, not my church, His church. His people, His sheep. I've got to give an account of what I've done or what I've allowed to be done in that body. So I'm a whole lot more conscious of what the Lord's going to do and what the Lord's going to say than I am about what anybody else might want to say. He says, they keep watch over your soul because they're going to give an account. Let them do this with joy. I don't see a lot of joy in ministry today. 1,000 men a month are dropping out of the ministry in the Southern Baptist Convention alone. 1,000 a month. I see a lot of folks with pain. I see a lot of folks with hurt. I told somebody one time in another church, they said, how much do you get paid? I said, I don't get paid for what I do. I get paid for what I put up with. Let them do this with joy. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. For about 98% of this church, I do my work with joy. I really do. I have joy in what I do. I enjoy being the pastor of this church. I enjoy my job. I enjoy coming to work. I enjoy what I need to do. I, I just enjoy it. Now, there's about 2% that want to steal the joy out of me, but they wouldn't be happy if Jesus was the pastor. So, you know, I learned a long time ago, folks, you don't, if you try to please people, you'll die. If you please God, you can go to bed at night. Let them do this with joy. Or if you've got some friends in some churches that are giving their ministers grief, you need to tell them in the name of Jesus to just shut up because they're keeping their ministers from doing their ministry with joy. And by the way, look at what he says. Not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. He didn't say it'd be unprofitable for the minister. You know what God will do to a minister that doesn't get to do his ministry of joy? That has, God will just pick him up and move him. Remember what Warren Wiersbe said when he was here a few weeks ago? Sometimes the biggest judgment God can ever send to a church is to give it what it wants. Oh, we just want a preacher that'll just love us and pat us on the back and, and tell us how wonderful we are. Yeah, And your soul will go downhill. It'll go downhill i want to tell you something nobody wins the super bowl nobody wins the world series nobody wins an nba championship that's always trying to make everybody happy can't do it if you want to win in the christian life you got to have somebody that pushes you you got to have somebody that holds you accountable you have to have somebody that says this is the standard this is the way walk in it now 3 John verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Philippians 4.1, Paul talked about that congregation as being my joy and my crown. You say, well, how unprofitable would it be for me? I don't know. You'll find out at your judgment seat how unprofitable it'll be. You say, well, what if I don't like it? Hey, I served 15 years on the church staff. There are a lot of things I didn't like. A lot of things that I thought, you know, I know better. You know, I sat in my office sometimes, and I thought, you know, if I was a pastor of this church, this is what I'd do. One day God said, okay, I'm going to let you be the pastor of a church, big boy. And you know what I did? I called some of those pastors and said, what do you do? because I learned it's easy on the other side of the desk to speculate about how it ought to be done. But when the buck stops with you, you better know that God's told you to do something. And that's not always easy. It'll be unprofitable for you. Then the last thing he says, we've been here a long time and I appreciate you listening, last thing he says is pray for us verse 18 and greet all your leaders verse 24 Charles Finney had a man who traveled ahead of him and traveled with him that never heard Charles Finney preach he would rent a room and he would stay in that room and pray for God to fall on a meeting Dale Moody would often wire R.A. Torrey when he was in a meeting or a crusade and he would say to him this is what I want you to pray for and they would take all the students out of Moody Bible Institute what became Moody Bible Institute and they would take the students out and they'd spend all night praying and as the students were praying God would begin to move in people's hearts read the quote at the bottom of your notes if you would please Charles Spurgeon who's considered the greatest preacher that's ever lived I think he was the greatest preacher that's ever lived because every Sunday when he preached there were 300 people in a room below his pulpit interceding for him. That's why Spurgeon was a great preacher, because he had great people praying for him. Spurgeon said, My people, shall I ever lose your prayers? Will you ever cease your supplications? Will you then ever cease to pray? I fear you have not uttered so many prayers this morning as you should have done. I fear there has not been so much earnest devotion as might have been poured forth. For my own part, I have not felt the wondrous power I sometimes experience. Pray for your leaders. I don't apologize for asking you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. If you want me to get better, pray for me. God can speak to me sometimes when you can't. And you know, maybe I've learned a few things. If I've learned them, it's probably because somebody prayed that I would learn them. Pray for your staff. Not just when their names happen to come to mind. Pray for them every day. I got a note from Warren. Warren on Thursday and the last thing he wrote on the letter was I pray for you daily I want to tell you something that makes me think about what I'm going to do that day I know the Lord prays for me I know the Holy Spirit prays for me but when I know other people are praying for me it makes me more conscious of what I need to be who knows what I've been spared from and who knows what has not happened or has happened because of the prayers of the saints. Greet your leaders. Talk to them. Say hello to them. Greet them. Honor them. Welcome them. Revere them. That's what he's saying. You see, what makes a great leader is great people, and every great leader has great people around them. I'm grateful for the staff that God's given us in this church, and I hope you pray for them every day. I hope you don't just pray for me. I'm asking you to pray for me, but I hope you pray for them every day, every one of them. I hope you lift their names up to the Lord. I hope you pray for their wives, their children, for God to bless them and God to use them, God to touch them, to mold them into His image. Because you see, a pastor is only as strong as the people that are around him. Because we can grow weary in our work. I told Terry on the way to church tonight, I went to the doctor this week, he finally got me in, And, uh, you know, I love going to the doctor like nothing. Uh, And, uh, you know, I went, and uh, this is the first time in five years that my blood pressure has been normal. It's 120 over 80. I mean, for me, that's been incredible. There was one Sunday when I preached when my bottom number on my blood pressure was 145, which is stroke level. And this is the first time it's been normal. Somebody asked me, What do you attribute that to? I said, This cotton picking building is finished. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. As honestly as I know how to say it, if it hadn't been for some of the men I had around me, I probably would have already had a heart attack. If John Hempkin had not protected me as much as he has, I could be dead because it was by him protecting me and letting me do what God wanted me to do and him covering some bases. And sometimes he's been criticized for things that I ask him to do. And he's filled roles that people that have criticized him don't have the guts to fill. But if he hadn't been here, I probably would have had a heart attack. I could have been dead but because he and others have stood by me and protected me and loved me and encouraged me and told me when I need to back off and told me when I need to push forward and helped me to see a big picture. I'm a better man and I'm a better leader. And so I want to encourage you to do something, folks. If you've got a favorite staff member, that's fine, but you better love them all because they're all here to help build the body. And each one contributes in a different way. And don't love a staff member and don't love a pastor more than you love Jesus. And don't follow men, follow God. And follow God as far as those men follow God. And if they stop following God, you keep on following God. and Don't use them as an excuse. This church must never be built on personalities. The sign of carnality in Corinth was, oh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Jesus. They were they were staff and preacher followers. They loved the preachers more than they loved Jesus. And they got divided up into little groups about who had the best preacher. And who had the best person? And Well, I've got Paul, well, that's nothing. I've got Cephas, And well, that's nothing. I've got Apollos, and, well, that's nothing. I'm, I'm over here, and, and they got into all this. You know what that was? That was a sign of carnality. Following men more than following Christ is a sign of carnality. It's not a sign of spirituality. It's a sign of carnality. And you and I are told to follow our leaders only as they follow Christ. And when they're following Christ, give it your all. Get there and hold hands with them and help plow the ground with them. Because if you don't, it would be unprofitable for you. I feel sorry for a lot of people in ministry. I hurt for them. And I don't know why God's given me that kind of heart. My plate is full enough without it. But I've seen the pain and the anguish in so many men's eyes who get no encouragement, who do not get the kind of support that I get, the kind of encouragement that I get, who never get a prayer card or a prayer note from anybody. And I feel sorry for their churches. Because, you know, some of them truly would like to have a church like Sherwood, but they don't want to do what Sherwood does to get this way. You know how we got this way? One of the ways was we remembered our leaders. And so before you go to bed tonight, would you find a place to get along with God, and would you say, Lord, thank you that I was a part of this church and able to hear Lehman Strauss. Thank you, Lord, that I got to hear Ron Dunn. Thank you, Lord, that if you, Terry, and he lives, we'll get to hear Bill Stafford again. Thank you, Lord, that I got to hear Warren Wiersbe, John Basano. Thank you, Lord, for the men that have paraded through this church and preached the word without apology. Lord, thanks for the people that have invested in my life so that I could hear and know and move forward in my faith. I want to tell you something, folks. God will be really tuned in to that kind of prayer. And He'll bless you for it. Because when you bless God's men, God blesses you. Let's pray together. Some of us need right now to just thank the Lord for that man or that woman that led us to Christ or discipled us or taught us. I'm grateful for the men that preceded me in this church because they planted good seed. gave me the ability to build on the foundation that was laid. I don't take that lightly. I don't take it for granted. You know, this side of eternity, we're never gonna hear some of the folks I talked about again. We may hear them on tape, but we won't ever get a chance to talk to them or see them or hear them in person again. You know, I wonder how many people in our church said, yeah, I'll, I'll catch Ron Dunn the next time he's in town. There's not going to be a next time. Or I, I'll go to that if it looks like something I like. There may not be another opportunity and you may find out that you missed a blessing. So, tonight I want us just to pray and after I pray we'll take our evening offering. We won't have an invitation tonight. This is not a invitation kind of message. This is just a little encouragement as we wrap up Hebrews to say this is the way we ought to walk and this is the way we ought to be. And God will bless us if we are. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the membership of this church that allows me the freedom to do what you've called me to do. as I look across this room tonight, I thank you for the many, many people who allow me to do this with joy and not with grief. Lord, thank you for the people that have invested in us as a church. Thank you for the men of God that have walked our way who served us and taught us, trained us, sometimes rebuked us. Father, I'm reminded tonight that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit and the prayers of the saints that we're able to do a lot of things that we couldn't do otherwise. So, Father, I ask you tonight that we would be a church that prays for one another, that Sunday school classes would pray for their teachers, the membership would pray for our deacons. I ask you, Father, for a hedge of protection, a wall of prayer for me and for this staff. Lord, we acknowledge we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. We don't know all the answers, but our hearts are set towards you. And so, Father, tonight, I thank you that we're not in a church that's in a battle. We're in a church that's in the middle of Blessings. And Lord, I pray for every church in this community that they would honor their pastors and honor their leaders the way you've commanded them to do so that our churches would be spiritually minded and not carnally minded. In Jesus' name, amen.